This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film. And this week's episode, it is the first of Batman Month. I, I don't have a really catchy subtitle for it. Uh, the Dark March. <laughs> there we go. Today is the first episode of Dark March. And for the first movie, we're going to be talking about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Now, the reason why I'm not doing The Batman first and on the day The Batman comes out is because, well, one, I record episodes, you know, most times I record episodes, you know, way ahead of time. Second of all, you know, I I would not be able to, you know, really go see The Batman and then all the way, you know, run to the you know, back home, record it, get all propped up and all that. Yeah, there's just no way I'm going to be able to do that for the Batman. So we're going to start off with Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the 1993 animated movie based off the Batman, the animated series, and is directed by, well, we got a couple of director credits. We have Bruce Tim, Eric Aronofsky as the directed by, and then we got sequence directors with Kevin Altieri, Boyd Kirkland, Frank Parr, and Dan Reba. I hope I pronounce those names blah, names right. As you can see, I can't even pronounce normal words right, so good luck for me trying to pronounce names. But anyway... We also have writing credits with the story by Alan Burnett and also screenplay by, uh, yeah, screenplay by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pasco, and Michael Reeves. And legally, Bob Kane created by Batman, you know, created by, you know, Bob Kane, whatever. You know, there's a whole story of how Bob Kane really didn't really do that much, but I'm not getting into that. That's comic book stuff. We're talking about movie stuff. And I, I think this is going to be a great episode to get into before I, you know, go see the Batman. And yeah, so by the way, don't worry, no spoilers for the Batman. Not in this episode. That's next week's episode. Uh, so. No spoilers for the Batman on my end. Um, Comments-wise, there. If I actually start getting comments in my, you know, podcast episodes on YouTube, you know, you'll have to worry about that. But for those of you, if you want to comment spoilers about the Batman, well, guess what? By the time this episode gets posted, I would have probably already seen the Batman. So, you know, I'm just saying. Good luck trying to spoil me on that. But uh, so anyway, for those you know new to my podcast, I talk about movies, and I start off with 
five things I like, and then I go into five things I dislike or criticize. Sometimes I do a little thing called John versus Critics, where I find a you know really negative review on IMDb and you know joke you know on it, but that's not going to be the case for this movie. The lowest was a two out of ten. It was just very short and. And the review itself was kind of boring. There was not much material to go off to go off of. But anyway, 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 I'm rambling on. So let me get into the actual review portion of this podcast and talk about the things I like. Well, first of all, you know, you got to mention the art style and the art direction. You know, it is just, it carries over from the animated series, you know, into this movie. And it's just, the dark deco art style really stands out. And what makes this movie in particular stand out among the rest of the animated Batman movies, in my opinion. Also, the cinematography, it is, you know, really great. There's some really fantastic shots. Some that are just, you know, so iconic to Batman. You know, and there's like just so much visual storytelling done in this movie. You know, we get, you know, some just like, I, I mentioned the great shot, sorry. This, this is how my reviews have been going. <laughs> but no, so uh, one of the memorable, memorable shots is when Bruce is, Putting on the cape and cowl for the first time. It gives off, you know, a really haunting image. Then there's the other where Batman is spying on Andrea Beaumont. And, you know, and it's raining out. We see the rain, you know, drip from his mask and stuff. It, it's really good stuff. I swear. Oh, and by the way, I should mention spoilers in the podcast, but you probably listened to the disclaimer already. Yeah, you know, so I, I guess, you know, how I go into these reviews, I go into them assuming that you've already seen the movie. Yeah. But anyway, back on to the art direction and animation. You know, it's just, you know, again, gorgeous. You know, we got some very, you know, fluent animation. It, like the style as well, it makes it very you know, timeless. Like, it makes it feel timeless visually. And, yeah, that's... I, I think that's a given, because it's the same team behind Batman the Animated Series, so... And they pretty much just carried that animation on for this movie. I mean, the movie was originally meant to be, like, a TV movie, but it got pushed into being a theatrical release. Next up, uh, for the second thing I like, is that they scaled up the maturity from an already mature cartoon show for children. What I mean is, so Batman the M8 series, it is, you know, like I've been watching it in lead up to the Batman, because I'm really excited for the Batman to come out. But one of the things that... You know, I've noticed just watching it more recently versus when I was watching it like in high school as reruns or when I was like a little kid is just noticing a lot of the more mature themes from the show. And 
Okay, and just by the FYI, I guess this, <laughs> this movie's giving me a good way to talk about the show as well, so I appreciate that. But anyway, you know, watching the show now, you notice that there's a lot of like mature moments in the show. If not, the show itself is more mature. It, it does not feel the need to talk down to children. I mean, it's fine for children to watch. It's not like it's going to be, you know, I'm not, it's not an adult, you know, Batman show with hard swearing, sex and drugs and stuff. Okay. There are drugs. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's an episode with drugs, you know, don't do them, but yeah, they talk about drug dealing. Yeah. So, you know, the show gets into some really deep topics, you know, and mature concepts like mortality. You know, there's a great episode with, you know, Batman doubting himself after all these years as crime keeps going forward. And it gets more intense when Jim Gordon gets, you know, critically wounded on the line of, line of duty and Batman wasn't there to stop it. So, you know, we got, and there's such, of course, you know, a lot of like crime drama. I mean, if you look at Batman the Animated Series compared to a lot of, you know, the other shows back in the early 90s or even late 90s, you can tell that Batman was on its own league, you know, because all the other, you know, cartoons around were sort of, you know, very censored. You know, you didn't have actual guns. They were laser rifles, you know. They, like, they had to, you know, really be careful with the censors. You know, it was very, very censor, you know, heavy back in the 80s and 90s. But Batman has real guns, you know. And there's, like, some, you know, implied death. You know, they, they always show, you know, in the show that, oh, they make it out. But th there are moments where it's just like, you just implied, you know, they never, you know, black and white death. But, you know, there's always, you know, the implied death. So, yeah, Batman Damage series, you know, very, very good show and has aged wonderfully. You know, but anyway, I'm talking about a movie, not a show. What am I doing about talking about the animated series? Well, the reason why I had to ramble and go on a sidetrack on the animated series was because I need to give an example of what I'm talking about when it comes to maturity. So for this movie, and by the way, sorry if you hear some scratching or stuff, that is one of the cats deciding to use the litter box, you know, right about now. It's a very small house and I got I don't have much recording options, you know, places to record, you know, whatever. Uh, anyways, back what I was saying. So that was just, you know, kind of an example of, you know, the maturity that the show had. So, and by, okay, last sidetrack. I, I know I kind of, <laughs> I just noticed that it's like, Oh, I go into assuming that you've already seen, you know, the movie, but then I just go on and explain about something that you've probably already seen. So my bad, but I, I guess what I am saying is that in the movie, it rank, you know, it cranks up the maturity. We get actual death, not like implied death or maybe they died. Maybe they didn't die. No, we get some hard concrete death. 
as a new van- you know, vigilante known as the Phantasm starts killing, you know, some crime lords. And even Joker gets a kill in the movie. Yeah, like, uh, and we see, we actually get to see a corpse. You know, one of the crime lords, you know, he was, you know, inflicted with, I guess, Joker's gas and had a forever, you know, frozen, you know, smile face, you know, on his, you know, dead head corpse, you know, who hold the bomb. Yeah, so Joker is, like, also very messed up. Like, he was messed up in the show, but there was always, you know, sort of, you know, a cartoony Looney Tunes kind of thing about it. You know, they made him more cartoonish shit. But here, I mean, you know, it's still the Joker from the M8 series, but they essentially let him off the leash. You know, and he gets pretty dark. You know. And, like, the movie overall just is darker, even for the show. And we get to see blood, you know. It's very mature, and I think that was a good thing. You know, if you can't really... Like, if there's one thing that you could definitely rev up for a fiat, like theatrical film, it is, you know... Or, yeah, like... I mean, originally made for TV movie, but then turned theatrical movie, I guess. You know for Batman is to rank up the maturity. Not make it hard you know, hard art or anything, but definitely be like, Yeah, we get to actually do some things now. We get to really, you know, boot it up. And also as well, you know, police going after Batman because the Phantasm is mistaken as being the Batman, so Everyone's assuming that Batman's killing all of the sun, so we got Harvey Bullock and the police force actually trying to kill the Batman. It's really, really, you know, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. This movie definitely cranks up the show's maturity. Now, for the third thing, is, you know, I'm going to save what I wrote down as the third thing at the end because it's the best part but anyway excuse me for one second i need a drink of water (sighs) much better and no i'm not editing it out because i treat my podcast like i am doing a live stream i would actually do a live stream if i could you know run an ethernet ethernet cord and you know through my house and yeah, it's just, I'm not in a very good setup for streaming anyways. But, anyway, uh, I'll get into the third thing of what I like about this movie. It's the music. So, Batman the Animated Series already has, you know, some really great music. And I'm talking about the original stuff, not just the intro, you know, that has Danny Elfman's, you know, theme. Play it, but I'm talking about the original music that has been composed by Shirley Walker. And so the music from the show is already great. But what's really great, like particularly great about its use in this movie, is that it has a very cinematic flair to it. Because, you know, it feels like the music got such a boost in quality, you know, like when it comes to the opening credits, we hear. You know, for what's used as the Batman's, you know, theme. You know. Da, 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 da. 
you know, it's kind of, it's, it is sort of a rendition of Danny Elfman's scene, but it has its like own twist and stuff. But what it gets here, it gets like an additional choir that just boosts it up. And I gotta say, just as you know, a warning, I'm a real sucker for good, you know, choir implementship into music. You know, it's like when it comes to movie soundtracks, especially like you got a good choir going, you got me in, you know, you got me hooked. So, and it's also used at very good times, you know, so not just the opening credits, but when Batman in the flashback scenes, you know, first saw the Cape of Cal for the first time, you get to hear that, you know, choir, you know, Batman theme. And it's just oh, so good. It is so good. I, you know, I feel like now that the show just needed, that, you know, just like, oh, can we borrow this now? Thank you. You know, just take the music from the movie and put it into, or just those versions of the music that they have already been using and put into the show. You know, it's just a very good, a very good. Uh, my fourth point of what I like about this movie, it is... The voice acting, you know, and I, I have to mention it, you know, because I think we got, like, this is probably going to be the only time this month where I'm going to be able to gush about Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as being the voice of Batman and Joker, respectively. You know, like, let, let's quickly go off, you know, Mark Hamill's portrayal as Joker. I mean, like, in this movie alone, he's just... Fantastic. He portrays the Joker so well. I personally, I this might be a hot take. He's a better Joker than he is a Luke Skywalker. I mean, he's just he oozes that personality in his performance. You know, he does a great job balancing between cartoonish and terrifying. He knows like how to really you know, get, you know, Joker to be angry, you know, really angry at someone, you know, and snap at someone, and then the next second, you know, like snap the fingers, just go back to being all cartoony and silly. It is really great. You know, he comes, you know, like Mark Hamill's Joker is both funny, but also disturbingly terrifying. It is truly an iconic performance. And then we get to go to Kevin Conroy, who is who masters the voice of the Batman and is my favorite actor to portray Batman. I mean, yeah, that that's a real hot take right there. Right, John? Yeah. Kevin Conroy, favorite actor who portrayed Batman. Gee, such a hot take. But no, seriously, though, Kevin Conroy is someone who gets who Batman is. And a lot more than a lot of actors. Like, I remember hearing from an interview that I think it was like a bonus feature on one of the anime series DVDs where he mentions that, you know, how he portrays Bruce Wayne is, slash Batman is that Bruce Wayne is the mask, but Batman's the real person. And you hear that in his, you know, like, and his you know performance so i i guess you know that's like my criticism for a lot of modern day batman 
you know performances is that they I blame Christian Bale for this. I'm sorry. Not not like just that direction they went for Christian Bale's Batman with having a voice like this to really disguise your voice. You know, and then that just revolve into you know later performances having, you know, either using a voice changer or something like that to really you know, be like, oh, he's doing that to disguise his voice. But Kevin Conroy, what he does, he has a more, you know, cheerful, friendly attitude as Bruce Wayne, the playboy billionaire philanthropist. You know, he he comes off as very, you know, genuine, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm your buddy. How's it going? You know, very upbeat. And then he switches off to something more serious, you know. And but that would be more of his real voice. So he, you know, the real voice for Bruce Wayne slash Batman is the Batman voice. That is the normal voice. So he's pointing on a performance as Bruce Wayne, but as Batman. You know that is him. He is serious. He is vengeance. He is the knight. He is Batman. And apologies for that. Probably horrendous, horrendous Kevin Conroy impersonation. But in all seriousness, you know, that that is the gist of Kevin Conroy's Batman. But he also does a really good job here portraying as the Batman we know from the show. And as a younger Bruce Wayne, who we like in this movie, we get to see, you know, a younger Bruce Wayne and Batman who has who just returned, you know, recently to Gotham and is on his first, you know, nights as being a vigilante. He hasn't even really been Batman at all. He's just put on a ski mask, you know, and started kicking butt, you know, and this is like kind of discovering it's that like weird middle puberty era, I guess, for Batman. Not really puberty, but it's not the origin of parents getting shot. But it's like more of after he is done with his training and is back in Gotham and goes first pursuing, you know, fighting crime. He does that, but, you know, it's him discovering how to do that. You know, and we get to see the origin of how he found the Batcave and all that. Yeah. So anyway, another drink of water. Apologies real quick. It is good to stay hydrated when talking about Batman. You know, so... And anyway, you know, he does... And as his, like, younger Bruce Wayne, I think he does a really good job not really going into the chirpy Bruce Wayne persona, but is more of, like, a mix between that and his normal, you know, Batman voice. You know... And it shows just how inexperienced he was at that time during those flashback sequences. But anyway, that is enough about Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. We also got to talk about the new, you know, voice actors. Uh, first of all, it is Dana Delaney as Andrea Beaumont. You know, she does a very fantastic job as, you know, Kevin Conroy's, you know, like romantic interest and 
antagonist because you know the twist of the movie is you know is that Andrea Beaumont is the phantasm even though the movie tried to lead us as you know the Carl you know Carl Beaumont his father you know I'm sorry Andrea's father for being the phantasm and they do this well in the credits as well with you know the same voice actor you know Stacy Keach playing Carl Beaumont and as the phantasm and by the way his voice as the phantasm is truly stellar like it's very haunting as he does this <clears throat> sorry I'm going to try to do it. I'm, do I'm going to do a horrible impression. Watch me. Ready? Ready? Chucky Soul. Your time has come. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't help myself. No, but he has this more haunting. Chucky Soul. Your, you know, your angel of death awaits. You know, something like that. <laughs> I'm sorry about the fake out. I had to. I, I I gotta I gotta try to joke around, you know. I I can't be all serious, you know. I, I don't want to be like Batman, you know. But yeah, their performances are really great. And again, you know, going back to Dana Delaney, you know, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her name. My apologies ahead of time if I butcher that. Dan, you know, Dana. She does a very good job as Andrea playing as her own version of, you know, a tormented soul. And, you know, and that that's going to be where I'm going to end my fourth point. There's other great performances as well. I think a lot of, you know, the side characters like Harvey Bullock, Gordon, Alfred, of course. Alfred is a standout as always. You know, they're really great. You know, but, you know, I, I really, okay, okay, I guess one more, you know, like, uh, performance I want to mention. Uh, let's see. I don't remember, you know, I don't, Arthur Reeves, there we go. That's the character I was looking for, you know. The actor for Arthur, he did Hart, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Hart Boch, Bochner. Yeah, I'm reading this off of IMDb, so again, apologies ahead of time for butchering names. I, I keep saying ahead of time. I'm pretty sure we're, we're past ahead of time, but, you know, overall, he does a really good job as his character, Arthur, but I think the one performance, you know, stand-up performance he does is that he gets, you know, poisoned by Joker with, you know, the laughing toxin and he's in the hospital and, you know, he was laughing uncontrollably, you know, uh, and then he finally gets to calm down because the doctors were able to treat him in time to, you know, calm him down. But then Batman comes out, you know, comes to interrogate him and you, and he starts laughing Again, but the laughter is being triggered because he is, you know, nervous because of Batman. And he does a really good job of betraying, you know, like this person who is not laughing because it's, you know, 
because, you know, it's funny laughing because he, you know, is forced to. It, you know, like, he does a very good job in that performance showing, you know, that he's truly fearful, but is also, you know, being forced to laugh. You know, and not just like a, oh, ha, 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 but like more of like physically he's being forced to laugh. Like his body is forcing, you know, laughter out of him, you know, and it's just a truly stellar performance, you know. So very well done in that scene. So this final point is going to kind of be like a combination between all the other points, but. It's really the story. The story here, it is an absolute standout. As, you know, it is a very tragic story, but it's also very well written. There's a lot of great visual storytelling along with written, you know, storyline. There's some, like, very good, you know, like, quotes as well. I'm probably going to have to look it up real quick. We're going to go quotes. You know, there's some funny, but there's also some serious ones. But, you know, before I get into quotes, I'll give quotes, you know, kind of later an exam, you know, later on. But let's just guess, you know, get into the general story. I've already mentioned, you know, how Batman's being framed as for killing, you know, these crime lords because the Phantasm is doing it. But what this movie does really well is it digs into Bruce's psyche and digs at it when he's, you know, in the flashback scenes when he's younger, when he's first starting out. It gives us a, 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 a scenario where, you know, Bruce was indecisive of whether or not he should continue on with his journey of vengeance, you know, to fight crime because he met Andrea and he fell in love there's a great scene where he's at his parents you know gravestone and he's begging you know them you know it's just to forgive them like for you know he's pretty much begging his dead parents to forgive him to for not pursuing the promise or breaking the promise should say because he wants to pursue a life with andrea you know and he's it's like a very, you know, the weather amplifies the scene as well. But you see that how tormented Bruce Wayne is. It's very tragic if you think about it. this. What makes this here is what makes you know Bruce Wayne tragic. It's not his parents died, but the fact that he's tormented by it to the point where he you know, like in the movie. And I guess this is a pseudo quote, you know. Like, uh, yeah, so I will read you this, you know, sort of, you know, dialogue, you know, from the scene. This is one of the standout, quote, you know, dialogues, you know, or just moments in the movie. So at the grave, Bruce Wayne says, it doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I, I don't want to let you down, honest, but but it's just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. But it's different now. 
you know, and then thunder and lightning starts to pop in, you know, right, you know, highlighting the grave, the music, you know, increases. Bruce Wayne continues on and says, please, I need it to be different now. I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. And as Thunder Lightning continues, he goes on and says, please tell me that it's okay. And right there, that, those three lines of dialogue, you know, they are, it's been more than three lines, but you get to just, just, that shows you, he, Bruce Wayne does not feel like he can be happy. Right, right there he says it. I didn't count on being happy. He says, you know, he is tormented, you know, by his parents' death, feeling that he can no longer live a life of happiness to fulfill this promise he gave to a vengeance. You know, that is just a brilliant character study that a lot of Batman movies just don't delve into. You know, delve into, you know, these scenarios. To delve into Batman questioning himself whether or if he should do that. Him wanting to not do this. But duty calls. As, you know, and the movie has, like, this really, really, like, visually great storytelling. Is when Bruce discovers, you know, the Batcave. He's, you know, on a cliff with Andrea and he proposes to her. And as he does, you know, bats shoot out of, you know, the cave, you know, into the sky, creating a, you know, spiral of sorts. And that right there is kind of like, you know, a visual sign that says, yeah, you can't do this. This is not your destiny. You have to be Batman. I mean, we all know he becomes Batman because it's a flashback scene, but still, you know, it's like it shows, you know, even visually storytelling wise, it shows, you know, the conflict of, you know, like Bruce Wayne at the end cannot just forego this, you know, vigilante, you know, life of being a vigilante and fighting crime. It's just. He is a very tormented soul. And you just... Honestly, you know, you, as much as how cool Batman is, the story makes you want to be like, Bruce, it's okay. You don't have to be Batman. It's okay. You make It makes you feel bad for him. And the performance is really great as well. That delivers such, you know, heartbreaking dialogue as well. And I should, you know... I forgot to... You know, uh, I guess I didn't forget to. I deliberately left it out. But at the end of, you know, that raining scene, Andrea Beaumont, you know, she comes in and says, maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me and they embrace in the rain. You know, that's, you know, really good. And so it shows you that tragic torment Bruce goes through in his psyche. But what's also really great in the story is, you know, the tragic romance between Andrea and Bruce. 
and how similar they are. So, like, first of all, you know, of course, everybody knows, you know, it's Selena, Kyle, Catwoman, you know, Selena, Kyle, and Bruce Wayne, aka the Bat and the Cat. They're the power couple. They're the main, you know, iconic relationship. But this movie does a fantastic job, you know, selling you Andrea Beaumont as being Bruce Wayne's perfect, you know, relationship. But that just, that is so tragic because they have such great chemistry in this movie. You really buy into their relationship. But because of the past, the paths uh, they went to and, you know, the past of their parents, it just wasn't meant to be. And it comes in a tragic yet bittersweet end. You know, and I'll get to the ending a little bit later on, but, you know, essentially uh, Andrea herself as the phantasm. She's on her own crusade of vengeance for the, you know, her father's death on by the hands of the mob, but she takes a more of a direct vigilante route by, you know, just straight up revenge on you know the people responsible for her father's death, you know, and you also have to take into account that Andrea's father died when Bruce Wayne was becoming Batman. You know, so right after Bruce, you know, and Andrea were supposed to be engaged. So, you know, she was older and mature, you know, I guess less innocent, so to speak. But you also understand Andrea because these are horrible people. And she is, you know... What Andrea and the Phantasm really are in this movie is sort of a mirror for Bruce of what he could be. You know, and that's, you know, like, it's the dark reality of this is what Batman could potentially be if he ever crosses the line. But you know, it's just that shows such great conflict. And I'm sorry if I'm pausing and spacing out a little bit. I am trying to find the right, you know, quote. But what's also great about the story, by the way, before Batman finds out Andrea is the phantasm, Andrea discovers Bruce Wayne as Batman very early on in the movie. Like, and I don't mean during the flashback scenes, I mean when she returns to Gotham and is back. Uh, like, there's this great exchange where Batman says, like, uh, still following your, following your father's orders. And Andrea replies with, I, I just lost it. Yeah, so Batman says, do you still follow your dad's orders? And Andrea says, the way I see it, the only one in this room controlled by his parents is you. Which we find out later on. That's not the case. No. But. Yeah, it's just. I, I want to give more examples of the dialogue. First of all, I've gotten to a lot of the serious ones. But I want to 
get into one of the very humorous ones that, you know, I guess has been memed a little bit. I've seen some, or at least some quotes, you know, or pictures of it. For Batman says, you think you know everything about me, don't you? And Alfred says, I diapered your bottom. I bloody well ought to, sir. Which, by the way, that is the perfect essence of Alfred. Just, yeah, he's the only one that gets away with saying stuff, you know, to Batman like that. Ah, uh, it's so great. But I'm trying to, anyway, you know, find a, the one quote I'm looking for, I'm looking at IMDb's list. Let's see, where is it? It's a great, great one. Uh, shoot, it, it's probably, you know, it's just, okay, and the reason I'm trying to find this quote, <laughs> apologies, this is, this is messing up the podcast a lot, but it's really, you know, it capulates what I've been saying about this movie. You know, I mean, I can see. Let's see. Where is it? Where is it? Come on. I, I'm not finding it. Shoot. Where is it? Oh no! Do they not have it? It's such a great, you know, quote too. You know, but you know the thing is, you know, it dives like this movie really talks about vengeance and what that means, or I guess the path of vengeance. Ah, uh, shoot! I'm not finding it. Oh no. <clears throat> oh no, where is it? Ah oh, shoot. I should have had this you know what, this is my bad. I should have had it ready already. Uh I guess I can go through the one with you know ah uh, shoot. see I'm not finding it yep it's such a great exchange too anyway so I guess I'll say with Alfred's quote and Alfred says vengeance blackens the soul Bruce I've always feared that you would become that which you fought against you walk the edge of that abyss every night, but you haven't fallen in, and I thank heaven for that. You know, yeah, so, you know, that's what this movie is about. It's about vengeance and how it shows that this movie's antagonist, the Phantasm, takes on vengeance differently. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, it's just bugging me. I gotta Google it real quick. Let's see. Uh, Andrea 
quote Batman. Let's see. Let's see, where is it? Maybe. I'm looking at a different sites, so give me one second. I'm not editing this out. No, 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 no. Where is the quote? Hell. Uh, shoot. Let's see. Oh, there it is. I found it. So, <clears throat> this is when Batman is confronting Andrea after he found out Andrea is the Phantasm and Andrea is trying to kill the Joker because the Joker was the last person on her hit list and is the one that directly killed her father. But anyway, Batman says, Your, fa <clears throat> Your father's dead, isn't he? You came into town early to get Chucky's soul. So you could shift the blame to your father if necessary. Andrea then says. They took everything, Bruce. My father. My friends. My life. You. I'm not saying it's right or even sane, but it's all I have left. So either help me or get out of the way. You know I can't do that. Look. What they did to us. What we could have had. They had to pay. But Andy. What will vengeance solve, Andrea? If anyone knows that answer to that... I'm sorry. If anyone knows the answer to that, Bruce, it's you. And there's a pause after that. It is such a great quote. It makes Batman look hypocritical by that. So, And I'm sure that quote was on IMDb. I just wasn't looking hard enough or was getting distracted. So... Anyways, apologies for that montage, but I just wanted to say that's it, it, there's so many great quotes, so much great dialogue between characters. It's really fantastic, really well made, and the and I will leave it off, you know, by saying you know, the climax ends with the future, you know, fair or whatever. You know, it is getting, you know, uh, blown up by the Joker, but Andrea has the Joker in her grasp. You know, Bruce is like, Andrea, come with me. The place is blowing up. And Andrea's like, no, it's going to end tonight. So the fire consume, you know, blasts in front of, you know, Bruce. Bruce falls into, like, there's a hole that's created underneath Bruce and he, Bruce, uh, and he falls down into sewers and gets washed away, you know, and Andre and the Joker stays there as Joker sees the explosion and he's helpless, but he just laughs in the face of it. So then we get that quote of, you know, from Alfred, you know, about vengeance. And this is where it becomes bittersweet, you know, is that. Batman finds a locket, you know, that has a picture with, you know, his younger self and Andrea that was dropped into the cave 
you know, from above by Andrea and Andrea and we get to see Andrea, you know, leaving Gotham, but she's, you know, has a little, you know, what is that saying? It's like the little face covering thing that, you know, people wear in funerals. She has that and she's sad about what happened. You know, so it's a very tragic, but yet bittersweet ending. It's bittersweet because we get to see both our characters survive, but it's tragic because we know this relationship that we've been invested to can never be. They can never be in a relationship. You know, and it's it sucks. But then the movie ends with Batman brooding on Tyre Tower, but then the Wow. Did I just forget about the Batlight? Wow. That is not what it's called. The bat signal. Wow. I can't believe that escaped my brain. But anyway, the bat signal lights up in the sky. Batman looks out to it, looks up to the, and then he starts to swing to GCPD. Now, so, yeah. Needless to say, I really loved, you know, this story to this movie. And just this movie overall, overall, it's fantastic. But, of course, no movie, no film is perfect. So let's go into my dislikes and criticisms. And the first thing I got to you know, mention, what I dislike. What I dislike is that there's a fight between Joker and Batman at the... Uh, World of the Future Fair, you know, and they're on this, you know, miniature city, you know, set that makes Batman and Joker look like giant, you know, kaiju. And that, don't get me wrong, the fight is fantastic. I love that battle, you know, very well done. But my problem is there was not enough miniature destruction. You know, I think this movie could have benefited from. You know, some direction and help from Subaraya Productions or Toho. You know, back when Toho was doing, you know, live actions, you know, tokusatsu effects, you know, or even Common Rider. But mostly, you know, Toho and Subaraya who have experience with giant monsters destroying cities. I, I feel like they could have gotten at least some advice that, you know, have more cities being destroyed, more buildings, you know, collapsing and all that there just wasn't enough and i'm not you know including the explosion at the end no that doesn't count it has to be done you know with you know bare fists you know or whatnot anyway i guess i've that's my joke dislike but uh let's go into some more nitpicky areas um let me just say the animation i know i went on praising this but I felt like uh, there are some slight animation errors, you know, but the overall thing is that it doesn't, it's not a noticeable improvement from the show's animation, which by that logic, it is kind of a compliment to the show's, you know, already, you know, already established animation and art direction and just overall quality. At being, you know, already pretty, you know, cinematic in itself, and being able to still be great even as a theatrical film, 
but you would think, uh, you know, a movie, you know, that gets a theatrical release would have, you know, an improved animation and stuff, but that's not the case here. Part of the reason is because this was supposed to be a TV movie, but then gets, you know, but then was decided to become a theatrical release. You know, I think it's just kind of a shame that, you know, in terms of the animation, I think if they went about it as a theatrical movie from the get-go, I felt like the already stellar animation could have really, really get a glow up with a theatrical, you know, I guess, execution. And also with, you know, this animation errors happening, that is not going to be, I'm not going to knock the animators for that. I think, if anything, that's kind of, uh, that's a knock against the studio itself as it shows that the animators were not given enough time. You know, there was a, there was probably a tight budget. I don't know for sure, so don't quote me, but yeah, it, it's, those are, it's usually a sign that there was usually a tight, you know, like deadline or budget that the studio wasn't willing to budge on. So, you know, I, I felt like if given, you know, the appropriate budget and just at the beginning, they decided it was going to be a theatrical release really went into, you know, the animation, you know, give it a more cinematic flare up, you know, or just some improvement on an already fantastic, you know, animation that that's already, you know, high quality, but I, I hope you know what I'm getting to, you know, something that's a bit more cinematic. But then it kind of like leaves me to my next point is that in the opening credits, you know, they, you know, go around some buildings, you know, you know, as the credits play out with that fantastic score by Shirley Walker. But the problem is, you know, they use like CGI buildings as the opening credits. Now, back in 93, I'm pretty sure that would have been really impressive and it's not to say, you know, they look horrible by any means. They're very basic, but it does still, you know, fall in line with the dark deco art style. But the problem with them using all CGI buildings for that opening credit sequence is that one, it kind of disconnects itself from the rest of the movie, you know. And two, it it just really hasn't aged well, you know. I guess, you know, I got to compare this to, you know, the show a little bit, just for a second. Because Batman the Animated Series has one of, if not the best opening sequences ever. But there is no text. It's just a visual, just great visual storytelling showing, you know, this short story of, you know, two guys robbing a bank and Batman stopping them. But it's done really well. There's not even a title sequence of saying Batman. It's just at the end, it's Batman on top of a building, then lightning strikes, you know, reveal you know, revealing Batman from the shadows. It's you you've probably seen the intro. It's very good, but yeah, the CGI buildings make the opening credit sequence aged very poorly visually, I guess. Is what I'm trying to get. 
So I got that. That. Uh, my next, you know, criticism point is that I don't think Joker needed a personal connection with the Phantasm. You know, or I guess I, I don't know. I guess it, it was. It's not that it's not not really an issue, but more maybe it's more of a personal thing. Is that it's because it delves into the Joker's origins a little bit because we get to see Joker, you know, pre being Joker as you know, kind of a mob henchman. But you know, that part you know bothered me. You know, but having just that personal connection, being the one that killed. Andrea's father. It's just, you know, the thing is with Joker, you really don't. He's a villain that you really kind of don't want to know the origins of, you know, or the lack of knowing his origins is what makes the character so intriguing, as well as entertaining. You know, it's just because he is like an overall mystery of why he is the Joker. I mean. Granted, they didn't delve into his origin too much. You know, it's just more visual. Like, yep, that guy's the Joker right there. But it's enough to say, yeah, no, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Why'd you do that? You know, so I guess that's more of a personal thing for me. But here, this one's a criticism. You know, and it's that, I guess... It, that's the thing of trying to do something like kill the Joker in a Batman movie for you know that's or it's a spin-off of a Batman show is that you need the Joker to come back to be in the show. You know. So they sort of have to retcon him die you know having him die at the world you know for Drew Fair, but then that leads into a problem. Why did Andrea let go of Joker? You know, why does she didn't kill the Joker, you know, or make sure he was dead before escaping? You know, so that was kind of just a problem with that little, you know, prevalence is that because we see the Joker appear later on in Batman the Animated Series, it's just one of those like, so that whole, you know, World Fair future. World of the Future, fair, exploding with Andrea and Joker staying behind has no ramifications because other than Andrea and Batman can never be together. You know, but it just kind of makes you question. It's like, wait, then why did Andrea, you know, let Joker go? Why did she never come back to kill Joker? You know, I guess you can kind of summarize it, but as being, you know, like, oh, she let Bruce's, you know, words, you know, get to her finally. But the movie kind of established, though, that she was already on the path she was. There was no turning back. She was dead set on committing vengeance. So that, you know, so that lower lessens the impact, I guess, of the movie. But at the end of the day, those are very minor complaints because overall, this is by far, if not, you know, by far one of, if not my favorite Batman movie. It, it does so much right. And 
as it dwells into Batman's psyche, there's a real mystery element that really showcases Batman's Batman being the world's greatest detective, you know, figuring out all this, you know, so having an actual mystery to follow along with, with a pretty good twist, you know, that's done really well. And it's hidden pretty well, even for the audience. You know, hardly. Or at least for the target audience, you know. But the only real shame is that, like I mentioned before, it's just that they decided to make it a theatrical release after all the production was pretty much done. You know. And I guess, you know, I wish they made the decision to make it theatrical near, like, at the beginning of pre-production. That's the only real shame of this movie. So, yeah. That's it for this episode. Um, don't forget to click on my socials and the links down below. Um, I'm on YouTube, Spotify, da, 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 Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, and Podbean.com. And next week's episode, it is going to be The Bet. A very full spoiler review that will come out a week after the movie has premiered. I mean, as th- for the time this episode comes out, yeah, the Batman, you know, would already be out. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. And leave a like, subscribe, comment, help me grow this channel. I do have plans for doing more content. Maybe not film related, but something to, you know, make more content of of what I want to make. You know, I'm thinking about, I don't want to go into it. I'll just say that I plan on doing more content. So it would be really helpful if you, you know, give me a like, give me a comment, telling me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. If you love me, if you hate me, or whatever. Uh, but anyway... That's it for this episode. Again, really, truly, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Take care. <laughs>